I will go ahead and start reading Acts chapter 2. If you have a, a Bible in front of you or you want to pull out a phone. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 14 is where we're going to start reading. And we're going to read through to the end of uh, Peter's sermon after Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the church heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is good to be here this morning. Um, I know that you guys have had quite a week, and I know that emotions can be high and overrun kind of your daily thought process. So um, this morning, I want to be sensitive to that. I want to be um, God's vessel for what I feel like he has um, has a word for you this morning, and um, I just pray that wherever you're at, that God would be the God of comfort, would be the God of hope, and would be the God of healing. Um, I'm going to, the title of my message this morning is Joyfully Broken. And um, there have been many times in my life that I've been joyfully broken. But this passage, probably as you were listening to John share, that's not the title that you probably had in your head. So I will, um, I will get into this text and explain a little bit of how God led me there. So you have the author of Luke, uh, as John has shared with you guys. They are in Jerusalem after the pilgrimage to get uh, this Passover celebration. So hundreds of thousands of people have come to this place in pilgrimage to celebrate Passover. So this is a very crowded location full of Jewish people from many nations. People have just witnessed the Holy Spirit being poured out, and it is crazy. Like, they have never seen anything like this before. This is super weird. And as the text that John spoke on last week, they end, they're like whispering to themselves, you know, they're like, these people must be drunk. Like, we have, they are crazy. Um, which, if you had seen physical fire above people's heads and those things happen, you may be questioning your own reality as well. I don't think it's unfair of them to assume these kinds of things as they have never seen this happen before. Um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into this word. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are good and that you want what's best for your children. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that this day happened, that you sent the Holy Spirit as a gift so that we could have this deep intimacy with you. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would speak to your people, that you would love on them, that you would encourage them, and that you would meet them where they're at. In Jesus' name. So I'm just going to spend a, a little bit on this text and kind of break it down. So Peter is coming in 
at the beginning of this text, watching all of this unfold. He has just seen everything that these people have just seen. And he is ready to address the crowd in the sermon that turns out to be the sermon that launches the first church movement. Like this is the beginning of the church. This is it. And Peter is a broken hot mess. He, throughout scripture, is a broken mess, and we will get to that. But Peter is explaining what just happened, and he can't contain his excitement and his enthusiasm because what he is seeing is the scripture from Joel that he read through, that John read through. He brings it up because this is, this is the fulfillment of this prophecy. This is an exciting time in history taking place that Jesus is who he said he was. This is all coming to fruition now and they are taking part in it. So Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And they, Peter, as a follower, as a disciple, as someone who's had this really crazy relationship with Jesus this whole time, is now looking at it going, this is real. This is real. This is happening and this is real. And I think that there are moments in our lives that we can get caught up in, in what's going on around us but when we're looking at it through the lens of Jesus and, and his promises, we can take a step back and go, okay, God has us. Like, he is who he said he is. And that's huge. And then he points to David's psalm, which was validating who Jesus is. David's psalm was explaining who Jesus was in a way that no one had ever heard it and no one really knew what to expect. So he goes through, through David's psalm and it's explaining who Jesus was. And then he gives this call to repent and be baptized. And it's resulting in this unified family of Abraham, the birth of the church. This is the messianic kingdom of David being offered again to Israel. And it was fulfilling Jesus's last request, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Second Samuel 7 um, is a huge part of Old Testament scripture, but it's talking about this messianic kingdom that's coming. And then it leads way into the book of Isaiah of talking about how all of this is, is fleshed out and who Jesus is and gives so much detail and prophecy of who this Messiah is that's coming. And so now they are seeing these pieces come together. This puzzle is now making sense. And, and Peter is saying, the one you crucified. And they're, they're piecing it together and they're clicking that, oh my goodness, this guy who we didn't really think a whole lot about other than he was, seemed a little off, this guy was the Messiah. And all this scripture is coming. And Jesus did all the things God promised to Abraham and David. So Peter's relationship with Jesus is a really interesting relationship. I think that Peter is probably the most relatable person in the Bible, especially for me. Um, he is on an emotional roller coaster his whole life with Jesus. Uh, from the very beginning when Jesus said, follow me, the fishing, he became disciple, he's watching Jesus heal 
personal family members of his. He's seeing miracles. He gets out of the boat and walks on water. Tries to, sinks really quick, but like he tries, he tries. And then Peter calls Jesus the Messiah. And that was a really key moment. Peter fights with Jesus about the crucifixion. He fights with Jesus about um, his him denying him about whether that's going to happen or not. Uh, Peter cut off the ear of the guard. Um, he, he's a very emotional individual who reacts and thinks and does a lot of the same things I think we do individually. Peter denies Jesus three times. And then when Jesus is alive again, after the crucifixion, Peter confirms his love for Jesus. You see, the thing about Peter is that Peter is always game. He is always game for what Jesus has. Even when he thinks it'll fail, even when he does fail through the failure and through the flight, Peter is always game to try what Jesus has to offer. He never says no walk on water. So he steps out of the boat. He tries it. He falls, but he steps out on the boat. You know, he, he is always willing to do what Jesus says. Bob Goff, who is um, a really, just really positive um, Christian thinker, he's, he's an attorney, but he's also an author, and he's... Um, annoyingly positive. Uh, He says failure is just a part of the process. And it's not just okay, it's better than okay. God doesn't want failure to shut us down. God didn't make it a three strikes and you're out sort of thing. It's more of how God helps us dust ourselves off so we can swing for the fences again. And all of this without keeping a meticulous record of our screw-ups. Like, that is who God is. Like, failure is inevitable. We will never be perfect. We will never have it all together, no matter how hard we try. This last month has been insane for my family. Just insane. Uh, And we've had some insane months. But this last month, I now have two jobs. My husband has a new job. The kids started school. Littlest is starting daycare. There are a lot of transitions and chaos taking place. The last week was like my, my first full week of work and my husband's last full week in his last job. And we were a mess. Like I'm fairly certain we had takeout every single night because I just like by the end of the day, was so exhausted, I, I couldn't even think about how to cook something. And, and I have a meal plan. Like, it was put there for me. Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't even know. And I had this moment yesterday. Actually, I had probably three moments this week, my poor husband, um, where I just started weeping. I just broke down and was like, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can 
do this job and that job and you do this and the kids do this and how I can be enough for them and for you and for and and put myself you know first you know he's always reminding me you have to put your mask on first you have to put your you know oxygen mask on first um and that is really hard for me to do it is really hard for me when I'm seeing my kids have rough days at school to to make sure that I'm good first before I can love on them. And, and it's weird because that's what we need to do, but I felt like such a failure this week. And yesterday, there was a moment, I'm just being super honest with you guys. There was a moment that I was sitting beside my bed with worship music on, on the floor, just crying and just going, God, I don't understand. I don't I don't understand how to do this. I'm tired and I don't know how you're expecting to use me to speak to your people tomorrow. I don't know how you're expecting me to love my kids enough because it never seems like enough for them. And in that moment, he just reminded me that it's not about me. Not one minute is it really about me. That he has me. And then if I lean into him, if I can just let it go and lean against him and really let him love me, he will fill me to the point that I can love others well. And it's not my job to fill them. It's my job to love them and to let the Holy Spirit really do his work in their lives as well. Um, one of my favorite thinkers, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, has a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He says, if we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to go to him for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do not know that it will be a road, or what we do, but we do know it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. And I was thinking of that yesterday as I was having my complete breakdown and I was like, discipleship means joy. I don't feel joyful at the moment. Um, but I was, I was dissecting these words a little bit. And when I sit in his mercy, when I sit in, in Jesus' boundless mercy, that is where the joy comes. Because following him and experiencing that mercy, knowing that I don't have to have it all together all the time, that frees me to be able to be joyful. Peter has this opportunity to live out the love that he proclaimed for Jesus. This love that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? He has this opportunity now to really live this out. Peter is, is not perfect. He's a mess. He had a messy relationship with Jesus, full of 
ups and downs and arguing. But the thing that he has right is that he keeps going. He keeps trying, no matter what. He picks himself up, and he keeps loving Jesus. And that is what we need to do. No matter where we're at, no matter what struggles we're having, if we keep choosing to love Jesus, that is where our joy will come. And then they ask this question, what shall we do? And Peter, Peter says, repent and be baptized. He doesn't say a 10-point sermon of checklist items that you have to complete before the Holy Spirit can move in you. When we are moved by the Spirit, we are called into an action. Francis Chan has this book called Forgotten God that's all about the Holy Spirit. And he says, when it comes down to it, many of us do not really want to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. He later says he typically asks us to play an active role in the journey toward wholeness. He doesn't need our help, but he invites us to participate. Often this journey to freedom takes time. It takes often a very long time. And it takes perseverance. It takes participation on our part. We have to get on the treadmill and run. Merely looking at the workout machine doesn't do a whole lot. And any of us that have had a New Year's resolution probably can relate with that. You know, most days aren't pretty in the life of a disciple. They're not, they're not this glorious moment where there's like tongues of fire and like all this you know, glam and like ooh and ah moments. Most days it's a grind. As Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, that we should aspire to live quietly and work with our hands. That's, that's not glamorous. That's not glamorous at all, you know? Like, I want, you know, where are the miracles? Where's the, you know, I want to be with the disciples doing all the, the flashy stuff. That, that's not... That's not normal. We see glimpses of these moments in scripture and they highlight these powerful moments, but we forget that in between the lines that it is just the mundane grind of being a disciple, of choosing Jesus every single day. We do things with integrity and we lean into God's word. But we have to have community to do that. We, we have to get on that treadmill and put one foot in front of the other. And some days, it's literally that. It's literally one step at a time. And some days you can run harder than others. It's being quiet and still. It's being quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to anger, as we we're taught in James. And that is hard to do. And 
if you're on social media at all, you'll see that it's very hard to do. Because there are a lot of times that we don't see when the Spirit is at work. But we know he's moving if we're drawing near to him. If we can cling to him and lean into him, we can feel the effects the Spirit is having in our lives. There's a, a song called, Oh Come to the Altar, um, by Elevation Worship that at the end of it says, bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. And I was thinking about those lyrics and man, like, the, it, it is a grind and we have failures and faults and we keep trying to choose Jesus and as we bear our crosses, as we, as we deal with our issues, as we deal with our hurts, as we deal with all the stuff that's going on, Jesus is there. We do this as we wait for what is to come, for his kingdom that's coming. But in the meantime, we are to tell the world of this treasure we found. And that is exactly what Peter is called to do. Jesus promised Peter that he was going to build his church on him. Jesus saw Peter for who he was, inside and out, and he still chose Peter to build his church on, renamed him the rock. That is grace, that is mercy, that is love, that we don't deserve, but God gives it anyways. Today, as we're responding to this call that Peter has on repentance, one of the things that I was reminded of that it's a psalm that everyone is familiar with, to create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In Psalm 51, it's David crying out to God after committing adultery, and he's crying out for mercy. The people God uses aren't perfect. They just keep coming back to him humbly. David comes over and over again as he makes all kinds of mistakes and God still calls him a, a man after God's own heart. God chooses Peter to carry the torch of the church and to start it when Peter sliced off a guard's ear. Jesus just picked it up and put it back on the guy's head. Like, that's crazy. But our mistakes, our humanness, our failures and our flaws, God is right there to pick us up, to show us the right way to do it. Like, no, Peter, this is, this is not the way. He wants to heal us. He wants to see us flourish. He wants to see us thrive. And more than anything, he wants you to draw near to him. He wants you to have a relationship with him because we can't be near the Holy Spirit if we don't have a relationship with him. We can't hear what the Spirit has to say if we're not constantly in, in God's word, 
in our community, admitting things that we've done wrong, allowing ourselves to be free of those things and not be bound by the lies and the doubts and the insecurities. The other thing that he says to do is to be baptized, which for those of you who haven't, I would encourage you to talk to John and Megan about it. It is a symbol of death to one life and being risen again into a life that Jesus has for you, clean and pure and starting afresh. We repent and follow Jesus wholeheartedly and we're able to love others. It is really hard to love others when we're not taking care of ourselves with our relationship with God first. I don't know if you've ever tried to like really love your neighbor well when you're tired and burnt out, but it doesn't work super well. Or it's like, here, here's, you know, here's, here's the gifts I have for you. And it's great to practice those things. It's great to like stay in the discipline of loving your neighbor and acting. But when you're able to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, you're able to love your neighbor in a whole new way. You're able to really speak words of life and wisdom into their lives. You're able to foresee needs because the Spirit is showing you what they need. And you're able to meet those needs and to be literally the hands and feet of Jesus to your neighbor. And whether that's your direct neighbor or someone in your community at church. When we keep putting self first or, or have hidden areas of our life that we refuse to be vulnerable with, it clouds our ability for the Holy Spirit to move. Um, there's, it's one thing to be putting yourself first in the sense of like, I need to like pursue Jesus. It's a different thing to like, well, I, I need to get my, you know, you know, laundry done before I can love my neighbor. Those are different things. Um, one of the things that I am currently learning that is a very hard lesson for me, um, growing up the way I did, I was never really able to think about my needs. I was never able to um, think about what I actually needed to thrive. Um, as a foster kid, I was constantly just in somebody else's graces. And as I came out of that, I realized that I had no idea who I was or what I needed or how to communicate what I needed because no one really asked or cared to ask. Um, they just kind of assumed that I needed the basic things in life but didn't go deeper. And one of the things that um, my husband Matt and I have been dealing with this last probably six months or so is that I have baggage with um, being selfish. I don't want to be selfish. And so um, I constantly do everything I possibly can to like not burden or hinder or um, come across as selfish. And um, Matt had to stop me this last week and be like, being selfish isn't necessarily bad. 
like if it is it, there can be a good type of being selfish and I had never thought of it that way and it's still like a trigger word for me I still can't quite wrap my head around it but I understood what he was trying to say in that like this this new job is actually a fulfilling of a of a calling of mine that God has had on my life and as I pour into it it is taking things from my family and it it feels really selfish for me but it's also something that I know that God has called me to do and I need to trust that God has this stuff over here when I'm working when I'm doing this stuff and being selfish is is hard um, but there is there is a time that it is a good type of selfishness that you you do what you need to do in order to further what you what you know that God is calling you to do um, as we work on closing next week you get to learn about the early church and what it was intended to look like which is a super exciting chapter in the Bible it's one of my favorite moments in scripture Henry Nouwen in, in the life of the beloved says real care means the willingness to help each other in making our brokenness into the gateway of joy. As we care for one another as community, we are able to take brokenness and make it a gateway of joy. And that is such a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God and what God has in store for what God has in store for your church and your life that God can take the brokenness that has occurred and make it a gateway of joy. And I just wanna, I wanna pray that. I want to speak that over you. And I want you to grasp it and, and to lean into what God has in that moment for you. To take that brokenness and, to, and make it into a gateway of joy for this church. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Take a posture, um, however you feel like you need to, um, whether it's open hands, open to what Jesus has in store. Maybe you need to physically get on your knees as a sign of surrender to self. Whatever, whatever posture you need to be in to allow Jesus to speak to you right now, just go ahead and do that. I want you to think about and ask the Spirit, where are you hurting? Where are you discouraged? What do you need to let go of? Paralyzed, are you paralyzed by worry and fear? Matthew 11 reminds us 
that Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest and peace. Are you overcome with pride or jealousy? You just can't be wrong. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Do you have doubt or hopelessness? Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we are all in different places. We are all wrestling with different things. This morning, I pray that you meet your people where they're at. With hands open, arms wide to what you have. May they lay down doubt and fear and pride. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come in this place and pour out your love and your mercy that Jesus, this would be a church known that in their brokenness, that this church would be known as a gateway of joy because of your spirit. That they can be joyfully broken because they have a God who lives. That the spirit the same spirit that Jesus called on in the moments of solitude and miracles and all the things that occurred is the same spirit that lives in them. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for these moments of brokenness where we have to pause and reflect on our fears and our failures and examine our hearts because you have more for us. So as we lay those things down and ask the Spirit to come into this place, to come into our hearts, to flood this room Jesus, show us where we need to let go and then bring healing and hope and restoration. And make the broken things come untrue because that is redemption and that is who you are, Jesus. In your name, amen.